welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending August 13th, 2022. This week, Disney makes a lot of money, then promptly raises prices. That is so Disney. Mm-hmm. I'm Kim Hollis, and I have finally unpacked all the boxes. Oh, thank Yay. God. <laughs> Also, Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer who successfully did not commit any treason this week. What, like a Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> also, David Mumpower, published author and media analyst who is watching an Atlanta Falcons preseason football game. David. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's officially got a half century under his belt. Happy birthday. Yeah, the first 50 was pretty good. Let's see how the second and third 50 go. <laughs> wait, uh, hold, hold on. Let, let me do some math here, Raul. Uh, wait, uh, you got to give me your secrets a little bit later. I am, <laughs> I am gambling on a whole lot of science. Okay. <laughs> It's hilarious to me that you think this rock has another 50 years on it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Ouch. In our deep dive this week, it's another week and another quarterly earnings call, as it was Disney's turn to tell us how they performed over the last three months. David, does Bob Chappick still have a job? Did you know that Bob Chappick could actually do well at his job? <laughs> yeah, I could tell by your silence that you didn't. But that is apparently what has happened, as Disney has just taken its first victory lap in ages. And I mean ages, because even the most diehard critics of Disney were like, um, I got nothing. It was that good a quarter. Disney actually earned $21.5 billion. Their earnings per share was more than a dollar. Their subscriber expectations were much, much higher than projected, like 44%. Overall, Disney beat all of its measurables by a considerable margin. And right now, everybody else in Hollywood is looking around going, wait, how did they do that? Let me just tell you that I, too, am looking forward to celebrating our second Disney Plus Day on September 8th with <laughs> activations across our Synergy machine. <laughs> a real yeah. quote. Yes. I don't know what a Synergy machine is, but it feels oh like my it God. involves Nicholas Tesla somehow, doesn't it? <laughs> We were all sitting in and listening on that earnings call, and uh, it could have been a drinking game. But one thing David had remarked is that Bob Chappick seemed a lot more comfortable this time than he had for quite some time. And I think uh, the good news, these strong numbers, was a big contributing factor here. But there was also, David, you pointed out there was another reason why maybe Bob Chappick was feeling a little bit more comfortable this quarter. Chappick knows he's got a job for another two years and 11 months, barring something unforeseen, which frankly, nobody had ceded to him until very recently. So this is the first time where he has really felt like the job was his. Now, you can say he's had this job for, you know, two years now, and it should have been that way. But he's been under pressure and under fire this entire time. And so now he can look around and go, you know what? What? 
I really think this pandemic is over. Disney has weathered what was effectively an existential threat, and everything is trending the right direction. Now, you're going to hear some things during this podcast when we talk about numbers and whatnot that sound better than maybe they are, and you can criticize some of it. For example, Disney had 14.4 million subscribers versus projections of 10 million. And for the record, I need to say, I thought the 10 million Wall Street was expecting was way too high. Disney has beaten that by 44%. And Raul, how remarkable is it at this point that any streaming service is increasing? Uh, 14.4 million added subscribers in a quarter where Netflix had announced nearly a million subscribers lost. That's a heck of a delta there. This is incredibly good news for Disney and for anyone who expected that Disney was going to have a bad quarter. But there's an asterisk there, and that is that most of those 14.4 million subscribers were added overseas. David, you gave me a number earlier. How many How many subscribers did they actually add in North America? So this is going to sound bad, and I think that we do probably want to put it in some context. In the United States, Disney Plus subscribers only increased by 100,000. So we were a very, very small blip on the overall gross radar for Disney+. Plus. However, it's important that we note a gain of any sort is really, really strong because Netflix's numbers in North America, they were down 1.3 million for the same quarter. So Disney is actually 1.4 million better than Netflix, and they're still growing, not shrinking. And as Raul mentioned, we do have Disney Plus Day coming up, which is usually a solid sign-up period for them. So we don't think the derailment is coming, but there's still even more asterisks to this, aren't there, Raul? I'm the one who's been looking for that shoe to drop for some time now. We'll get into it, but as previously discussed, Disney decided that they wouldn't commit the billions of dollars that was needed to renew their Indian Premier League cricket rights, which is a huge subscriber earner for Disney, where in India, millions of people subscribe to a product called Hotstar, which is Disney's brand for Disney Plus in India. Essentially, Hotstar is Disney Plus. And if you are not watching cricket on Hotstar, then why are you subscribed to Hotstar? I expect that eventually those people who are subscribed to that product will cancel their subscriptions. But that hasn't materialized yet because of a number of different reasons, one of which is because those subscription windows haven't ended yet. You subscribe for a year instead of like for a month and other things like that. But that shoe, that shoe is going to drop. That subscription cut is going to happen. And then there's that three-year deal, the three-year deal that everyone signed up with when Disney Plus originally launched. Believe it or not, we're coming to the end of that three-year deal. People paid once upfront for Disney Plus and have been watching it for nearly 36 months without any reminder of the fact that at some point, they're going to have to start paying a regular monthly subscription to Disney Plus. Once that reminder hits their credit card or their email, how many of those people are going to renew. I think three years actually was a very clever ploy to get people very accustomed to the fact that they must have Disney Plus month in and month out. So it's very likely that a lot of these people actually will continue to pay because eh, I've had Disney Plus forever, three years. Why would I cut it off now? But there is going to be some people who just do not renew. And so that's another shoe that's going to inevitably drop as well. 
yeah, I want to talk about two parts of that. One is we've had this conversation a couple of times on the podcast about when the hot star thing will hurt Disney. Raul had actually said in a previous podcast, he thought possibly Disney subscriptions might go down the quarter we're discussing for that reason. And at the time we kind of looked into it, we realized we were probably about three fiscal quarters away from when the clock counts down to zero on that. Similarly, we have until the start of November on the three-year thing, which means Disney really does have two negatives coming. And the interesting thing is the universe has kind of given them a break here. And what I mean by that is three months ago, what would have mattered the most was how many subscribers Disney had. And they've still been promising 230 to 260 million subscribers. And the mantra from Wall Street was basically do whatever you have to do to get those subscribers. That has changed. And because of that, it changed the calculus on Disney's IPL cricket negotiations, where they allowed another organization to outbid them and pay $3 billion for these streaming rights. So now Disney on its earnings call is doing like an apology tour where they're explaining the thought process. Disney just had a write down for this quarter for its direct to consumer, which means basically just ESPN Plus, Hulu and Disney Plus of $1.1 billion and Somewhere I can tell you, David Zaslov just screamed in terror at the thought of it. That is a massive amount of money. And Disney is expecting to have that happen again in the next quarter and possibly in the quarter after that. In fact, the CFO and CEO of Disney just expressly stated, this is as bad as it's ever going to get in 2022. So we made a choice right now. We could throw money at the problem and go ahead and pay $3 billion for IPL cricket, or we can seed subscribers. They chose the latter. And for that reason, Disney is no longer saying 230 to 260 million. They're saying 215 to 245 million by the end of 2024. They've just written off the possibility of 15 million subscribers rather than pay $3 billion for IPL cricket. And they're also saying they're going to get to the point where they're making money on the streaming service by the start of 2024. Raul, how is that even possible? Well, some of it has to do with activation of synergies. What Disney has going for it is that they're a very diversified company, which is arguably something that Warner Brothers Discovery cannot say. Disney talks about these synergies because it works for them. They can lose money in one place simply so they can market and promote a product elsewhere. They expect that someone who is watching a Disney movie on Disney Plus may actually end up going to their parks, which did fantastically well in the last quarter, or travel on one of their Disney cruise ships. But to the larger extent that they're talking about becoming profitable on their streaming service, two things that you have to consider is firstly, the subscribers that they are losing or they expect to lose in India are the ones that were paying the least per subscriber, that ARPU, that average revenue per user. As cynical as it may be, they are cutting off their lowest revenue subscribers. But also, this gives them the opportunity, as we've discussed in the past, by not spending $3 billion on cricket, they then get to spend maybe as much or some fraction of that on other sports. And Disney seems really big on college football these days, they think that all their college football contracts is going to drive subscriptions on ESPN and ESPN Plus. Except the Big Ten. Screw you, Illinois. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, being Disney, another way that they're going to become profitable is, uh, you know, uh, increasing prices. Yeah. So conveniently, that three-year deal that you may have signed up for when it launched in November 2019, I guess when it 
when it runs out uh, the next month, uh, here comes the ad supported tier. Starting in December, for the same price you're paying now, the eight bucks a month, that will have ads. If you are a person who does not want to see ads because you hate advertising, yeah, you can pay 11 bucks a month for Disney Plus now. Thank you very much. Uh, so yeah, at that point, at the end of those 36 months, if you want to renew and continue paying the same amount of money, you can, but now you're going to be getting ads. And then Disney gets you both ways because they continue to get that $7.99 a month, but then they also start getting revenue from the advertisers. And so that is an entirely new revenue stream for them. Yeah, I don't think they've said yet what's going to happen to existing subscribers. I'm going to assume that you're just going to be transferred to the the ad supported tier the same and not ha- suddenly be charged more for Disney Plus, which may be a shock to some people in a couple months. So they will very quickly either, well, some of them will probably just cancel because people are like that. Um, but they will definitely get some people who are switching to the ad free tier for those extra three bucks. This seems like a good time to mention that the original Disney Plus three-year deal worked out to a little less than $4 a month. So this will be more. (laughs) Yeah, just a touch. But yeah, of course, the $7.99 was always, if you were to be paying by month, uh, if you had pre-bought for 36 months, it was, of course, only about $4 a month, which was a fantastic deal. And I don't want to call it bait and switch, but it's certainly your heroin. It's how Disney got you hooked for three years. And now they get to charge you a little bit more or a lot more, depending if you whether you want ads or not. What show do they announce at Disney Plus Day that will launch in December? <laughs> Just so they have to get people to continue stay subscribed or or pay more. (laughs) There'll be something at the bare minimum. I imagine they're probably going to push hard on Hocus Pocus 2. That's probably going to be one of their big gets for the fall and and leading into Christmas. Yeah, they'll start that push, right? Because that'll be huge in in October. Mm -hmm. So they will will definitely probably premiere the trailer for it or whatever next month. What they also said they were going to do is they're going to ease you into ads. Apparently, they're not going to go like full whole hog ads on the platform initially. Of course, you can expect that, you know, within a year or two, they'll be showing as many ads on that platform as anybody else who runs ads on their streaming platform. But they don't want to scare off the customers. It's clear the mentality here, the the whole mechanic of it is switching you from the ad free tier to the ad supported tier, but at the same price, but with fewer ads. And eventually you'll start getting a little bit more ads over time. It's clear they're they're just trying to ease you into it and make you more comfortable with it. One thing about the whole ad element that did surprise me though, is that they're not using the same ad engine that Hulu uses. Hulu has been running ads and honestly been doing it very well. Their ad engine is very robust and actually interactive. If you've ever seen ads on Hulu, there are times when the ad will pause and ask you like, which ad do you want to see? It's very well done, but Disney isn't using the existing Hulu ad engine. They're using an entirely separate one that they're building up from scratch for Disney+. Plus. So there's, a, I would speculate, a reason for that. And that's because long-term, I still feel that Disney wants to spin off Hulu. Not what's on Hulu, the shows that are on Hulu would probably end up on Disney+. Plus, and we are starting to see that happen now. But because of Disney's long-term future with Hulu and their obligations to Comcast, their partner on Hulu, it may make more sense for them to simply rid themselves of that platform than to try to continue using it. And if they were to be using the Hulu engine for ads on Disney+, Plus, they may simply be just too integrated for that to be a thing. And so they have created an entirely separate ad engine for Disney+, Plus, separate from the one on Hulu. Yeah, and I think the big picture part of all this is 
Roland Kim have explained over the last two years in detail why advertising revenue is the end-all, be-all for streaming services, whether they want to admit it or not. And what Disney has just set up here is they are going to take people who are currently paying X amount a month, and they're going to give them exactly the same product now with advertising. And in that way, Disney has effectively reinvented cable television as a streaming service, which was always the goal here because when linear networks started struggling, this was Bob Iger's grand vision for the future, which was to maintain the past in a new way and a shiny package. It does speak to, again, the long-term vision here and and again, the, the lack of vision that we see at something like Warner Brothers Discovery, it takes years to get to where Disney is going and it takes deep pockets. The fact that they can say that they're losing $1.2 billion a quarter, that is the cost of getting to where you need to be. On the other hand, when you've got a company like Warner Brothers Discovery that while they do have some cash on hands is also deeply in debt, they can't be losing over a billion dollars in cash every quarter. And so it does speak a little bit to why David Zasloff and Warner Brothers Discovery had to make the cuts they made. I'm going to disagree there. And I realize that I have made Zasloff my whipping boy, but I still feel strongly. It was not a coincidence when Jason Collar was at HBO Max. He had figured out a strategy that worked because he had trained under Iger and he understood the system. Zaslav doesn't understand the system. And so he is trying something. And the debt that they have, those wounds are self-inflicted because that was the debt they accumulated to merge. So we shouldn't write that off as anything. All they're doing right now is diminishing their product. Disney, on the other hand, is saying this is just the cost of doing business and we will willingly accept it. There are a lot of other ways... Warner Brothers Discovery could get money if they wanted to, but that's not what they're doing right now. They're just trying to survive and reduce costs until such time as somebody else buys them. Well then, in that spirit, let's take it into our rapid fire. Let's see how the stream apocalypse is going for HBO Max. <laughs> the last time I saw something canceled this much, it involved Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> oh my, oh, oh boy. Oh, too soon. Um, just a quick recap here. The impression we got last week was that Warner Bros. Discovery was ready to slash and burn everything at HBO Max. But when the backlash started mounting, leadership at Warner Bros. Discovery scrambled and walked back a lot of their plans. It's not to say that they still don't intend to make cuts at Streamer, but they're not going to make big announcements about those cuts. But in the meantime, it's leaving a lot of projects at the studio in turmoil. It does look like Warner Bros. Discovery CEO David Zaslav has a love for DC Comics, or at least the prospects of the revenue it could bring him. But those running DC projects at DC Films, Warner Brothers Discovery, HBO Max, however you want to describe it, are confused about their future. Batgirl was canceled after being filmed, but other projects, like the Birds of Prey spinoff, Black Canary, starring Journey Smollett, still seems to be in the works. Meanwhile, in another one of those on the down low, no announcement has been made, reveals, Kevin Smith just told us that his Strange Adventures series, another DC Comics project, at HBO Max isn't moving forward. So it's clear that that they are still canceling things. They're just not talking about it. 
it just feels like there is this massive uncertainty at the studio. And maybe that uncertainty goes all the way to the top where even Zaslav himself doesn't know what he wants to do next. And he may simply be making decisions on a whim. That's no way to be running things. He talked about a 10-year plan for the DC projects where apparently the folks running the DC films didn't know that he had this 10-year plan. It's just so confusing for everyone involved. There's speculation at Warner Bros. Discovery now that they're trying to avert as much bad press as possible as it's rumored that Leslie Grace, the actress who was going to play Batgirl, might still appear as Batgirl, but just in another project. Right now, it looks like there's a lot of ass covering. It's pretty telling that the cast and crew of Batgirl really haven't come out and said much. They've been largely quiet. The presumption then is that there's still negotiations going on. They're trying to find ways to make good for all these actors. We're talking about J.K. Simmons. We're talking about Michael Keaton. These are actual big name Hollywood actors that got burned because their project got shelved, not temporarily, but forever. And the fact that they're not speaking out. David Zasloff is trying to run Warner Bros. Discovery the way he used to run Discovery. And it's not the same. It's not the same that when you have a, I don't know, a deadliest catch spinoff that didn't work. And so you decide on a whim, eh, all right, let's cancel that. We're not going to do that anymore. Who's going to complain about that? When you go ahead and cancel a big Hollywood project, people get upset. And I don't think that he was prepared for that kind of backlash. And now he's, I don't know, is is he like hunkered down in his office, afraid to come out? Because it sounds like a lot he of- the- should be. <laughs> well, it feels like a lot of the people who report to him really don't know what he's doing anymore. And they're all waiting for him to give them some guidance. He is basically the bully who has just been punched in the mouth and is in his locker crying right now. And nobody's quite sure how he's going to react. And what he has just learned is a very important lesson in the importance of IPs. Because when somebody cancels, you know, Ghost Brothers or Amish Haunting or Paranormal Lockdown, which are all real shows, nobody cares. But when you cancel Batgirl with the return of Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne, people care. And for whatever reason... This guy had such a blind spot about the industry. He missed something as common sense as Batman. (laughs) I'll be honest. I thought David had made up all those titles. Um, We used to watch Destination America for its Disney shows and only its Disney shows. They would do like an hour special every three or four months. And so we got intimately familiar with the shows that ran on a loop on that channel, which doesn't even exist anymore. (laughs) I'd point out also that to add confusion to this chaos, it was announced this week that independent comic book publisher IDW was developing new series for HBO Max. That headline was just designed to fan the flames as the actual news is that IDW is developing five new series based on their comic book titles for multiple streaming services, which includes HBO Max, but it's not only HBO Max. It is a black eye for DC Comics, the in-house comic book publisher at Warner Bros. Discovery. But when IDW is out there making content for streaming, it would be silly for HBO Max to remove themselves from the running for these shows. What does it matter that it comes from another comic book publisher than their own comic book publisher? If it's something that they feel they can put on their streamer and it's going to get them subscribers, then by all means. But it's just also very confusing at this point. Let me say it like this. If you have a production agreement with HBO Max slash Discovery right now, it has rough the same value as Jeffrey Bucks at Toys R Us. So that's where we're at. Oh, we miss you, Toys R Us. 
In other news, it's the death of a streaming service as Charter's Spectrum Originals is being phased out. This is not a big surprise as Charter is one of the cable companies that's partnered with Comcast to deliver Peacock. Spectrum Originals was home to a number of shows you may have vaguely heard of, but none of them were produced by Charter. Sony produced the Mad About You reboot and the Bad Boys spinoff LA's Finest starring Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba, a show whose second season actually aired on Fox Network during the pandemic. Paramount produced Spectrum's most popular show, Joe Pickett, while AMC produced Beacon 23. Once Paramount saw the success of Joe Pickett, they brought it home to Paramount Plus for its second season. And once that was gone, Spectrum didn't have much going for it. If anything, the big story here is that Catherine Pope, the head at Spectrum Originals, is leaving to become president of Sony Pictures Television Studios. I'd say that speaks to Sony's continued commitment to creating original content that they then sell off to the highest bidder. We've seen Sony content on almost every streamer out there, and that includes Netflix, where Cobra Kai is one of their hottest shows, and that is a Sony show. And I have to put this out there just uh, before we leave rapid fire. This is maybe a little bit of eating crow on my part, but I wanted to point out that Hulu's Predator prequel, Prey, has become Hulu's most watched premiere in history and uh, the reviews it's getting are also pretty glowing i'd say you know if you make enough predator movies eventually you're gonna end up making a good one so good for them but it is all around a very good week for disney they had some fantastic numbers and then uh, as a feather in their cap a very successful premiere for a movie on hulu good for them yeah good for them i think we all kind of made fun of it in our what's new segment when we talked about it so yeah our mistake yeah, this this is a certified upset and blockbuster in terms of streaming, especially for something not on Netflix. I mean, odds are, well, what was the last Predator-related movie? Like 2018, but Shane Black. Yeah. And, yeah. and that mm-hmm. was not very good and did not do well. This one is 92% fresh at Rotten Tomatoes. I saw people just gushing about it on, on social media once the reviews started coming in and, and they were good. I think this is showing the effect that word of mouth and reviews can have on streaming because they they don't affect box office. I mean, if very rarely do they actually have an impact on box office. But you know, reviews and word of mouth definitely have an impact on streaming performances, I believe. I think this is this is a really good example because we, we won't see the numbers for a few weeks, but yeah, Hulu immediately came out and said, uh, this was our best movie ever in terms of viewership. And I think it's going to be a blockbuster once we get those numbers. Yep. With that said, why don't we go ahead and talk about the ratings? Yep. We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, July 11th through Sunday, July 17th, 2022. And let's see what we've got. Oh, look, Stranger Things is your top show. Uh, Moving on. Okay. Yawn. <laughs> Yawn. Been there. Uh, 2.9 billion minutes. So just dropping another three bill on uh, on everyone <laughs> Moving else. Moving on. What are you, like a Vecna fan or something? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what else can we say? This this is this, this is a monster. It's going to be here for, for, for months. It may still be doing a billion minutes even a month from now. Who knows? Um, it's not... Too much new stuff on the originals chart this this list, but we'll we'll go through it. Uh, second, still the terminal list, eight hundred eighty-seven million minutes. So actually, a pretty decent hold after its first full week for an Amazon show, and still something they actually haven't renewed yet. Yeah, I think that's the telling part of the story right there. 
Yeah, because this, this this is a month in the past. So the fact that they still haven't, uh, maybe it was maybe it's too expensive for them, even though it's done okay, or maybe just because it wasn't good. <laughs> Who knows? Ah, <laughs> uh, we do have a new show in third. Here's Resident Evil. Uh, eight episodes, eight hundred fifty-eight million minutes. We kind of handled this either last week or the week before it. I don't think the news is going to be good from here because they have not renewed Resident Evil for season two yet. And if you watch Netflix any over the last year, you know they are in business with Resident Evil. They are doing animated uh, specials for it. They have the various movies that they're licensing the rights for. There's actually uh, one of them. Uh, I think the fourth one is debuting on September 1st. They want Resident Evil to be a thing on Netflix. People just didn't like this show enough. And so 858 million minutes is probably going to be the watermark. I, I think so. This is that this actually is just a three day number. So I, I think that is going to be the high point because it was Ouch. like a watch. And if so, I mean, I understand why they haven't renewed it. Okay, yeah, this also not renewed for a second season. Again, with, with a month full of data, Netflix still hasn't said anything. That's typically not a good sign. It's not. They also haven't canceled it, which, you know, we've seen shows that came out in a similar time frame, like First Kill, that already have been canned. So they're they're thinking it over, but that's not a re-endorsement. And fourth, uh, The Boys from Amazon Prime Video still here, 828 million minutes for 24 episodes. Very solid performer for them. Uh, the Umbrella Academy is still in fifth, 714 million minutes for its 30 episodes. Who's only murders in the building? 14 episodes. I think Nielsen's just given up on counting how many there are so far in this season. 369 million minutes. Uh, Disney's Ms. Marvel completes its season. 357 million minutes for six episodes. As with most Disney Plus shows, uh, this might be the last time we see it because people tend to wait for it to finish its season, watch it, and then stop. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do. Obi-Wan Kenobi disappeared very quickly after uh, after its finale. And by all accounts, was one of the strongest drivers for uh, the subscription numbers for Disney+. Plus. We had mentioned that at the time, but that's an important ad there is they, they thought that a lot of the people who uh, in North America stayed because of that product. Overall, looking at this, the one thing that I noticed is that three of the top seven are comic book related stories and six of the top seven are intellectual properties that are established franchises, which just shows you how strongly important that has gotten especially right now it is getting harder and harder to really establish something as a one-off like the terminal list has done and that's why you would think prime video would really want to renew it but they haven't our other new show on originals this week is in eighth db cooper where are you 351 million minutes for the four episode docuseries i mean we know it was jimmy james (laughs) (laughs) i still say tommy wiseau but you're Opinion is probably valid on this this unsolved, unsolved mystery. Documentaries actually tend to do all right on streaming. I've noticed, you know, that, that depending on whether they're even if it's a movie or uh, a miniseries, as 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 this one is, you know, we we saw that we still have the one in the movies we saw last week is still here, but they do pop up from your time time to time. And that I find that very interesting. Uh, wrapping up originals, Peaky Blinders in ninth, 320 million minutes for 36 episodes, and Ozark, once again, still here, 276 million minutes in 10th. Over in movies, uh, I did predict this last week, your top movie is The Sea Beast from Netflix, 920 million minutes. Very solid for 
something non-Disney, basically. Uh, Sing 2, down to second, 632 million minutes. Uh, Girl in the Picture in third, we saw that last week, 483 million minutes. Uh, Something new, 12 Strong, 477 million minutes. Well, new to Netflix, it's not a new movie. This actually happened to to show up for some reason in the middle of this, this week, in this ratings week. Why? Not sure. But people watched it. Yeah, the Chris Hemsworth Afghan war movie, yeah? Yep, yep. I remember remember this one. It was a January theatrical release and did fine for what it was theatrically. And then arrived on Netflix, turns out, on July 10th. So it had a full week of, of viewership and people watched it. And that's not the only new arrival that people watched on Netflix. We do have an HBO Max movie in fifth, The Bob's Burgers movie, 431 million minutes. Yeah, I'll call that impressive. That is... Yeah, that is uh, not necessarily a niche animated show on uh, Fox television, but it it never really necessarily had the popularity of, say, The Simpsons. And the fact that it got a movie at all was a surprise to me. And now here it is, uh, the movie itself doing well on streaming. Good for them. Yeah, actually hit theaters in May, made about 30 million or so, which yeah, fine, I guess. And, And then arrived on HBO Max. On the 12th of July. Uh, something else new in six. This is Persuasion from Netflix. 353 million minutes. This is, uh, oh, Dakota Johnson. Okay, we, we, we talked about this. It's a oh, Jane Austen ad- adaptation. Yeah, it got some pretty scathing reviews. Uh, yep, 32% fresh Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, not good. Right. Pretty disappointing, yep. Yes. Uh, something else new. This one from Disney Plus. Zombies 3, 332 million minutes. Yeah, this was kind of an unknown quantity for me. I was curious how it would do. The Zombies franchise is basically the modern high school musical, or if you're a little bit younger, uh, Team Beach movie. So the first two were, you know, extremely popular on Disney Channel. This one had more of a platform release where they tried multiple avenues. So I don't even know how to quantify 332 million. Released on July 15th. So just this is just a weekend. That's actually quite good then. And I know we talked about it, and I had not heard of this franchise prior to us discussing it on what's new for that week. This one adds aliens. <laughs> oh, well, why didn't they say so? And our other odd selection on the movies chart this week is Chips. Yes, the 2017 movie of the adaptation of the 70s television show. Uh, so oh, I guess it, obviously. Yeah, uh, a good week for Michael, Michael Pena, I guess, because actually he's in... <laughs> Because he's in 12 Strong as well. Uh, but the, the, for some reason, this arrived back on Netflix from wherever it was in the ether on July 13th. Do better, Netflix viewers. Just because Netflix says it's new doesn't mean you have to watch it. Written by, directed by, and starring Dax Shepard. Dax Shepard, yes. This really fascinating career where he just hangs in there with work, doesn't he? And he's Mr. Kristen Bell, so I kind of hate him. <laughs> right. Uh, Netflix's Man from Toronto slides to ninth, 254 million minutes. And Encanto, once again, dangerously close to falling off the, the, the movie's chart entirely, shockingly, 221 million minutes. Uh, looking at Acquired, it is, well, yeah, 10 shows we've seen before. Uh, this time, though, led by Alone. Yes, the show we saw last week, 818 million minutes, uh, credited to Netflix and Hulu, though, again, I can only find 12 episodes on Netflix. The eighth season, which is the most recent, the second most recently aired one, one did just finish airing on the History Channel, is not on streaming yet. Uh, but all the other episodes are on Hulu, but the most recent season is on Netflix, and I could not find a date for when it arrived on Netflix uh, but it must be pretty recently because obviously they must be promoting it and people are watching it. I have no other answers. 
Okay, so it does look like it arrived on Netflix on June 30th, but only that one season, as you pointed out. Yeah. That's, that's after it previously left Netflix on June 2nd. So hmm, I can't explain that, nor can I explain the appeal of the show other than maybe it was getting some spillover viewing from Snowflake Mountain. But that show isn't even in the originals chart anymore. It hasn't been on the chart for, what, two or three weeks now. So why are people not only watching alone and watching it a lot? And how much of that number is actually people watching it on uh, Hulu? We've we've seen this in the past where there's something that has played on both, like, say, HBO Max and Netflix. And we've speculated that, you know, yeah, it's like 90 percent of that viewership was probably mm-hmm. on Netflix. Yeah. Hulu shows just do not make these charts very often. And so I would speculate again that 90 percent of this viewership is coming from the, the people watching that most recent season on Netflix and, and not the people watching the previous seasons on Hulu. But but 49 episodes, number one on the acquired chart. Wow. Yeah. Again, even though way more of this show is, is on Hulu, most of this viewership is probably on Netflix, even though it's it's just 12 episodes. Uh, we only have one HBO Max show this week. Friends is here. Big Bang Theory is not. Friends is in seventh, 423 million minutes. And we have the return of The Flash, actually, in fifth, 529 million minutes. This is the good Flash, right? Bad, bad Flash is movie Flash. Yeah. Okay. I I wasn't sure. I had, didn't have my flashes straight, but yeah, this is the uh, the CW show, which once again finished its its television season. New episodes show up on streaming. 171 episodes. This one's been around for a long time. Wow. I wonder now if every time Ezra Miller does something, if maybe people watch more of The Flash. <laughs> this feels like the best time to mention that Batgirl is canceled, while Ezra Miller's The Flash still has a theatrical release date in less than 12 months. David Zaslav has a plan. Just think of the promotional interviews for that. Just think about them. (laughs) But a pretty quiet week for the streaming ratings. Uh, We do have two exciting things that should arrive next week. Cribbing off Netflix's data, we get the new season of Virgin River and The Gray Man, a movie that costs a billion dollars. Will it have a billion minutes? We'll have to wait and find out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy. And David and I got to go see Bullet Train, which was just big, dumb fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We actually watched it in 4DX, which I didn't like the first time that I saw a movie in 4DX, which was one of the John Wick films. But this one, I don't know, it was just right for it. It felt like a big experience. Brad Pitt, just entirely charming. Aaron Taylor Johnson, lots of fun. Joey King, really terrific in her role. It's just a big, goofy action movie. And yes, I recommend it. Raul, how about you? So I was I was debating as to whether or not I was going to tell you all about Not Okay on Hulu or Honor Society on Paramount Plus. And I am so upset with Not Okay. My only recommendation here is that you do not watch that movie that I'm uh, I'm going to tell you instead about Honor Society. I watched those two movies back to back, having watched uh, Honor Society after Not Okay, which was really the right choice because otherwise I'd have been left with a pretty terrible taste in my mouth. Uh, Honor Society, as uh, we previously told you, is the story of a high school senior who is looking to get a recommendation from her counselor so that she can get into the best schools and become successful. Honor 
her name is Honor Rose, is played by Anguri Rice, who has previously played Betty Brant in the Spider-Man movies. And I expected something more akin to Clueless in this movie than, than what I got. There are some dramatic elements to it, but there's a lot of good old high school comedy fun going on here. Her main rival, as she seeks to undermine her competition for the guidance counselor's recommendation, is played by Stranger Things' Gaten Matarazzo. And as you would expect in a movie like this, as she tries to undermine him, she actually falls for him. And, you know, hilarity ensues. I won't get into the details. There are some twists. It's a fun little ride. Uh, not a particularly memorable movie, but it was certainly a pleasant experience, especially having previously watched Not Okay, which, again, <laughs> I can't impress this upon you enough. Do not watch that movie. That is, <laughs> it is, it is a bad movie. It is, it's a bad movie. Bad <laughs> we, we, we do need more anti-recommendations or like don't don't watch this it sucked we usually were like do not about watch. but 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 yeah i appreciate that that you mentioned it at least you know to say don't watch it yeah. <laughs> but i do i do suggest you do you look for honor society on paramount plus the streamer that i seem to always end up watching all right tim how about you i would love to have played more but my home was uninhabitable for much of the week. Uh, so, but I did finish the essentially tutorial level of Two Point Campus, a game I've been mm -hmm. waiting for for quite some time. A sequel or you know, at least in the same universe game from the makers of Two Point Hospital. This time, instead of killing people in a hospital, you are uh, building a, a college, essentially, uh, you know, building, placing buildings and, and rooms and items to bring people into the school and improve their education. And you get, you know, money for tuition, which you used to improve the school and then they graduate and you get rewarded and whatnot and it's the same formula it's fun so far i'm hoping they add more twists and turns in the in the later levels and given there were five dlcs for two point hospital i'm sure there will be more for two point campus and i will hopefully talk about it more in the future once i have more time to play it because i can live in my house again <laughs> and david Kim and I have just had just like a really weird couple of months as we've been moving and we have just had no free time. And there was a night where we just decided we needed a break. And so what we did, this is the real thing. We set Alexa for, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes and she grabbed her Steam Deck and I turned on my Xbox and we played Two Point Campus for the first time, both of us on two different things. So that it wasn't like, you know, watching each other play, it was kind of like a competitive thing. And and Two Point Campus, frankly, <laughs> confused me with its opening level because I was envisioning a giant, you know, campus where you would gradually add stuff. No, they give you like one building and you have to stick <laughs> like a dorm room and a science lab and an auditorium all in the same space by the cafeteria and shower. So I had like a shower area that was bigger than where everybody was actually going to class, which actually, you know, if they did that at college would probably lead to a lot more people attending. But anyway, it was fun. I, I, I didn't understand it. I've played Two Point Hospital some. Uh, and we've watched him play it a lot. Two Point Campus seems very, very fun and engaging. And I, too, am looking forward to playing it more. Kim, what was your experience like? I think I got it a lot 
faster than you. I, I think you'd agree that I like had moved on to other things while you were still figuring out where to put the library. And I was like, yeah, the kind of approaching finishing the level. Didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, you know, I was having a lot of fun with it. I know one thing I was thinking in my head as I'm playing it was like, I'm kind of glad we have a timer on this because I could probably find myself just sitting here playing all night if I'm not <laughs> careful. So, so yeah, uh, just really a lot of fun. I, I recommend it. I'm looking forward to playing more of it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my wife basically saying that she was smarter than me and I couldn't even argue the point because she was right. Also, Bullet Train isn't going to be for everybody and I fully accept that. But for me, that was one of the most entertaining movie experiences I've had since Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. That movie felt specifically targeted to me. And there was a time when we were watching it in 4DX where without doing any spoilers, there's a derailing. And during the derailing, which goes on for a while, it felt like we were floating in the air for like 30 to 45 seconds at a time. So this <laughs> is the one time where I think if you have 40X, it is definitely a unique experience that you won't find anywhere else. Yes. All right. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 